Y'all remember when y'all graduated high school? I remember when I graduated high school and, and when I graduated college. I remember when I was at college how uh, someone came up to me one time and mistook me from someone else. Have you ever had that before, a case of mistaken identity? Uh, back when I uh, had hair on my head and not on my face, uh, I used to get that a lot, quite a bit. People would come up to me and they would think there's, I was someone else. I guess I just looked like a typical American male, I don't know, but I remember this one time in college, I was leaving my dorm room there at USC going to uh, my car in the parking garage, and uh, I saw someone coming toward me, and he had a smile on his face, and he was kind of looking at me, so I didn't really know what that was about, and about 30 feet out, he, I remember a clear as day, he said, he said, Michael, and I was like, you know, walking and looking around, and, and there's really no one behind me, I had some friends with me, and I was like, who's that guy talking to Michael, how are, how are you? And, and he came right up to me, and I thought maybe he was talking to somebody. Nobody, eye contact the whole, whole way, gets right here. He says, how are you doing? And I was just kind of deer in the headlights, and I thought, am I supposed to know him? And then I was thinking, is my name Michael? I don't know. You know <laughs> I, I was confused, so I didn't really say I'm not Michael. I just said, and I just kind of looked at him. He said, it's so good to see you. You've been good. I was like, yeah, I've been great. He's like, oh, oh great, man, it's so good to see you. And, and walked on off. And I thought, wow, maybe my name is Michael. I don't know. But, um, but, you know, had I spoken to him longer and had we, like, actually had a conversation and had uh, he talked to me, I, eventually he would have known that I was not who he thought he was talking about. My personality would come out more, uh, who I was as a person, uh, old stories that we shared together we did not share would be evident, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, my character would come out, it would have been evident that I was not who he thought he, that I was not who he thought I was. Today we're talking about God and God's character and about who God is. We're also talking about prayer. And we're putting together these two topics, praying, but also the character of God. Because when, when we pray, uh, we know that God will act in certain and specific ways just because of who he is. But have we ever prayed the character of God? And that's what we're looking at today. We're going to see how we can pray his character and, sh and see how that helps our own prayer lives. We're in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're in verse 1 through 37. I'm not going to read all that this morning. I'm going to read through the first three verses. But we are going to work through this passage. And it's going to be a lot of Bible. We, of course, uh, we of course talked last week about the importance of God's word. And this is a prayer that is so deep and rich. A lot of the sermon is going to be just reading through this prayer. But let's look at verse 1, chapter 9. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you today, we would see in this passage of Scripture kind of a model of what the Israelites did under Nehemiah's leadership. As they started to regain their cities, they started moving back into their homes. As communities started taking place again, what they did, how they made prayer and your word uh, paramount importance. 
And Father, as we continue as a a society to start getting back to normal things and normal rhythms, that we too would see that your word and worship and prayer should be a priority in our lives as we continue to rebuild our lives and rebuild our nation, rebuild every facet of who we are as people of you, Lord. I pray, Father, that uh, my words, of course, would always reflect your heart today. You would fill me with your spirit as we as we worship and in a spirit of, of truth today as we hear your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to give you uh, what, how the Bible says, uh, Nehemiah shows us a pattern for prayer that, that elevates the character of God. We're going to see at least six things today that shows us a pattern of prayer. And when we're praying, it elevates God's character. Number one. When we pray, first, before we get to God, the God's part of it, when we pray, we first should acknowledge our sin. We first should acknowledge our sin. Now, God knows we've sinned. He knows what we've done. We don't, this is no mystery uh, to him. When we acknowledge our sin, God's not on his throne thinking, oh, wow, you did that? <laughs> he, he knows what we've done. So acknowledgement of sin is not necessarily something that we're trying to uncover to make sure God knows. It's something that we uncover to make sure we know, make sure we understand that, that we've sinned, that we, we, we are responsible for it. That's what acknowledging sin is. Look at verse 1. It says that they had, they, on the way I just read this, that they had uh, stood together and they were fasting and sackcloth with earth on their heads. This was a, a visual representation of the repentance. And they had separated themselves from all foreigners. And they did this because they were coming together as a people. Not that there was anything negative about the foreign people there in the area, but they were just separating themselves to do it with, by themselves, the people of God. And they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So we do see this, this pattern of, of confessing sin of the past generation of God's people. Now, Nehemiah acts as the figurehead here, speaking on behalf of God's people. And so we see them this going on. And, and it says in verse 3, And they stood up and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, 24 hours, divided by 4 is 6. Isn't that right? Okay, so 6 hours they stood and they read from the book of the law. Okay, now, you're going to get about 10 minutes of that today, of reading from it. Six hours. And then another quarter, they made confession of sin and worshiped their God. I believe if I had six hours to confess my sin, I could probably remember everything I've done in my life and worship God. They spent 12 hours doing this. This is a community of believers who are serious about rebuilding their community of faith. Verse 4 talks about the people who were involved. And verse 5 says that they said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. When we pray, we should acknowledge our sin. When we enter into communion with God, we we need to realize who we are in light of his holiness. That's why sermons and worship are not just times to be encouraged. They should. You should be encouraged when you come in here. It's also a time to be convicted of our sin. And through that conviction of our sin and and understanding God's grace, we are encouraged that God can save us, that God has forgiven us for that. So first, when we pray, we should acknowledge our sin. You see this happening before they even get into the prayer. Secondly, when we pray, 
we should acknowledge God's creativity. It seems kind of strange to say that. We don't really hear about that a lot. We should acknowledge God's creativity. Look at verse 6. People say, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made, created heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. God's created everything, all the universe, all the earth, all the seas, you know, on uh, all the oceans. I heard this week that there's now a fifth ocean. Did you know that? There's always been five oceans, but scientists now feel comfortable with naming a fifth ocean, the southern ocean around Antarctica. God made that. He, he made the waters swirl the way that they would swirl to where scientists years later would say, oh, yeah, that's a fifth distinct ocean. He's made everything. Sometimes we can downplay the truth that God is a God of creativity, but we should not because he literally created everything out of nothing. Everything out of nothing. If you were to ask me to, to paint a picture of a scene somewhere amongst corner, and you gave me an easel and a paintbrush and some colors, I would still think you're asking me to create something out of nothing because I don't really know what I was doing. But if you had set me down and given me nothing and told me to create it, I really would be trying to create it out of nothing. Well, that's what God did. He, he spoke existence into being. He can make, he can create anything out of nothing. And so he can make the possible happen out of the seemingly impossible. God created the physical laws that govern the earth, that bind us on this earth, like things like gravity and things like this. But he also creates the miracles that seem to break those laws. And so as we, when we pray to God and we acknowledge how creative he is, we start to realize and we can use the same creativity in our own lives. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that seems like a dead end? A situation that seems like there's just no way out, there's no good option. Have you ever been in a situation where it just seems like, you know, I don't know what to do, there's no way out of this situation. You've thought about all the possible scenarios of escape, you can't see a good way out. You can't see a good conclusion. When you get to that situation, remember that you have a God that can create a way where there is no way. Amen. You have a God that does see the way out. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God can't create it. He can create a door where there was no door. He can create an opening where there was no opening. We often forget that our God is a creative God who can create anything out of nothing. And when we're in a dead end, when we're in a situation where we don't know what to do, where to go, don't forget that God is a creative God that can create anything he needs for you. His creativity knows no bounds. So when we pray, we should acknowledge that God is a creative God who's created everything and can, can still create in our lives. Third, when we pray, we should acknowledge God's salvation. We should acknowledge God's salvation, his saving power in our lives. If you are a believer, God has saved you. That's what he's done. He's saved you from your sins. He's made you right with Heavenly Father, with himself through Jesus Christ. 
And so at this point in the prayer, Nehemiah's prayer starts to recount the history that God had with the Jewish people. Now, not all of it, but a lot of it. And he starts at the beginning with the call of Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people. Look at verse 7. He says, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. See, Abram was a man who was lost. He was worshiping the stars. He was searching for truth. Wasn't sure where it was. God saves him, and he becomes a new man. Hence the name change, Abraham. When we're saved, we become new people. The old person has passed away, the new has come, Scripture says. Verse 8, And you found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise. Why? For you are righteous. God revealed himself to Abraham and saved him and made him a father of his people. Hundreds of years later, the people of Abraham then found themselves as slaves in Egypt. And Nehemiah also counts how God saved the Egyptians. So God saved Abraham, and now he he counts how God saved the Israelites in Egypt. Look at verse 9. Hundreds of years later, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. When we pray, perhaps we should recount how God saved us. As for me, I grew up in a house where I had the privilege of my parents being involved in a Baptist church, not unlike this one. They read the Bible to me at a young age. My dad was involved. He was a Sunday school teacher. When I was real, real young, there was a, a child in there, a uh, child in the, in the Sunday school who had special needs, and they didn't really know what to do back then with children with special needs. And he, he would kind of hit kids and stuff, and I was frightened of them. So my dad left his, I was like four or five, he, he left his Sunday school class with all his adult conversation and came in and taught the class I was in. So I would want to go to church. My mom was involved. She sang in the choir. I would sit there in the balcony and wave to her and not understand why she couldn't wave back. They did all sorts of things like that. And at the age of seven, because I had the opportunity to hear the gospel, I, I knew I was a sinner, and the only way I'd be made right with God and go to heaven after my death was through Jesus Christ. And so I thank God for saving me at a young age because even though I'm not perfect and even though I have sinned post-salvation, God's salvation has saved me from a lot of heartache I would have headlong gone into had I not had salvation at a young age. Maybe that's your story. That you've been a Christian for most of your life. Maybe when you're praying to God, you thank God for saving you at a young age. As you see his grace all throughout your life. Maybe you're a new Christian, you didn't have that. You still can thank God for saving you when he did. 
When you pray, do you thank him for saving you? This is what Nehemiah is doing. Do you remember your testimony? Do you remember how you were saved? How often have you thanked God for how you were saved? Have you thanked God recently for the sermon you heard that stirred your heart? Have you thanked God recently for the friend that invited you to church that enabled you to find salvation? Have you thanked God for the family member who told you about Jesus? When we pray, we thank God for salvation. Fourth, when we pray, we should acknowledge God's provision. Acknowledge God's provision, how he provides. And this is a lengthy session, section. But it's important to read through it because it shows how God continued to provide for the Jewish people. Continue to provide for his people. Look at verse 12. After they had been saved through Egypt, God wasn't done with them. He then provided for them. Look at verse 12. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. By a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Just because you're saved, just because God has saved you through Jesus, doesn't mean you still won't have a wilderness time. In fact, the Israelites had it right away. As soon as they were saved, they were in the wilderness. As soon as they were saved, they needed God's provision. And in those wilderness times, God will still provide for you. And it's in those wilderness times that you need God's provision the most. Furthermore, God provides us for us even when we're still guilty of our situation. Even when we're still in sin. Look at verse 16. As God was providing, verse 16, he says this. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Think about that. <laughs> They've just been saved, just been saved from Egyptians. Slavery for 400 years. They get in the wilderness, it's hard, it's tough. And they say, let's just go back. You over here, take us back to Egypt. Take us back to the chains. God still provides for them. But you are a God, he says, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies still did not forsake them in the wilderness. Not only did they want to go back to Egypt, then they created something and said, this is your God. 
The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. In our sin, even us forsaking God and crying God and saying, back over here, God doesn't love me anymore. He's allowed this to happen. I'm just going to go back to my former life, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to worship another God. He still provides for us. Still gave them what they needed. Gave them manna. Gave them water. Gave them clothes that didn't wear out for 40 years. You might still have a garment from 40 years ago, but it's probably tattered. (laughs) Maybe some well-made American-made things are still around 40 years later. But back then, it would have been hard because they're wandering in the desert every day. They still gave them the pillar of fire, still gave them the the cloud to, to guide them, even when they tried to act like God didn't do what he had done for them. Verse 22, and you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner, and they took possession of the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of the king of Bashan. Verse 23, and you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. And the descendants went in, and they possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their land with their kings and the peoples of the land they might do with them as they would. And they captured cities in a rich land. They took possessions of houses full of all good things. And it says they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. The same people who God saved, who turned from them, who stiffened their necks, who still sinned against them, who were still arrogant. He still brought them into the promised land because he said he would and still provided for them. And they were fat because they ate so much food. God still provided for them. When we pray, acknowledge God's provision. God's character is not based on our current situation or our feelings. It's based on who he is and how he's worked through our lives. When we pray, acknowledge God's provision. Number five. When we pray, we should acknowledge God's compassion. We should acknowledge God's compassion. Look at verse 26. Nevertheless, we know where this is going, don't we? Again, they were fat and happy. They had everything they needed. Cities, towns, houses, food. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And they rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. Took the law and threw it behind their backs. I don't need that. And killed your prophets. Not only do I don't want God's word, I don't want someone telling me God's word. Killed your prophets 
who had warned them to turn back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, verse 27, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you. And you said, nope, sorry, no more. Is that what you said? No. They cried out to you from heaven. And you heard them, he says. You heard them. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Still saved them. Still provided for them. Still loved them. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of your enemies. You do you believe that? And I'll sit them down and say, and now I said, don't do this, do this. I mean, I told you that, right? Because if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And they're starting to finally realize, yeah, dad's right a lot of times. Now, I don't feel like great because of that. I just feel like, finally, right? Finally. This is the relationship God's people have with God and have with God. Over and over again, they sinned against him. Act like he didn't exist. God kept, and they'd cry out to him. Oh, we're sorry, God. God would take him back. Now, there were consequences. Sin has consequences. But he would take him back. Verse 32. Now we're getting to the part where he asks God for something. This whole prayer has been recounting who God is. And now he asks God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings and our princes and our priests and our prophets and our fathers and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have been dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings and our princes and our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land you set before them. They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Again, he's loading up the ask, but he still goes back to saying, you are a God of compassion. You're a God that loves. When we pray, acknowledge how God has loved you. Even after he saved you, even after he has provided for you, you still sin against him. He still loves you. And finally, number six, when we pray, we should acknowledge God's grace. We should acknowledge God's grace. Verse 36. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. But there's grace in there. There's still God's people. God is a God who creates, he's a God who saves, he's a God who provides, a God who loves, a God who gives. That is who he is, and we can pray to him because 
of his great name. You ever heard of Bill and Gloria Gaither? The Gaithers? You've heard of the Gaithers maybe before? Uh, kind of southern gospel group. Many years ago, Bill and Gloria Gaither had been married just a couple of years. And they were trying to live in their uh, small town of Indiana where he had grown up. And he wanted to buy a piece of land where he could build a house for his entire family. And he noticed that the parcel, and he, no, he noticed that the parcel south of town where cattle grazed, and, 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 he, and he learned that it belonged to a 92-year-old retired banker named Mr. Yule. And he owned a lot of land in the area, and the word was that he would sell none of it. Wasn't going to sell any of it. And he gave the same speech to everyone. He said, I promised the farmers they could use it for their cattle. Well, the Gaithers visited him one day at the bank. And although he was retired, he was still in the office a few times a week. And they came in and introduced themselves to him. And he said, hey, we'd love to buy this piece of land. And he said, I'm not selling. I promise it to the farmers for the grazing of cattle. And he said, Bill said, I know we're teaching school. We thought maybe just like someone who wants to, to buy the land and have it and settle down on it. And the banker said, what would you say your name was again? He said, Bill Gaither. He said, are you any relation to Grover Gaither? It's starting to sound like Monk's Corner now, isn't it? Are you any relation to Grover Gaither? He said, yes, that was my grandfather. And Mr. Yule said, hmm, Grover Gaither was the best worker I ever had on my farm. He worked a full day's work, a full day's pay, honest worker, best worker I ever had. What did you say you wanted again? He told him again, he said, let me do some thinking, I'll come back next week and come see me. Gaithers came back next week and he said, did you do some thinking? The banker said, how does $3,800 sound? And he thought, well, that was per acre. That would be 60,000. It's about 15 acres. He says, that would be a lot of money. He said, 3,800? He said, yes, 15 acres for $3,800. And Bill Gaither said, I knew it was worth at least three times, and I accepted it. And three decades later, he said, my son and I were strolling that beautiful, lush property that had once been cattle grazing land. And I said, Benji, you've had this wonderful place to grow up through nothing that you've done but because of the good name of your great-grandfather who you never met. In the same way, as children of God, we have spiritual blessing upon blessing upon blessing in Christ because of the name and the character of Jesus. And we have a heavenly pasture land that we will inherit for all eternity, not because of what we've done, but because of what our Father in heaven has done for us. When we pray today, we can remind ourselves of his goodness and his name. Heavenly Fathers, we close our time together today. We thank you for being who you are. We thank you for prayers like this that we see your work through the lives of your people. Father, if there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you, they would do so today. And as we worship back to you today, and as we get ready to celebrate these graduates that are going to be on stage in a few minutes, we would see that they too would see 
God's provision in their lives. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.